You're listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, bringing class to trash since everybody welcome to the gentleman's guide to midnight cinema we are back i am back uh i've been away for a couple weeks timing wasn't good wills held the fort down appreciate that chris and sean guys uh really uh held it together glue popsicles popsicle sticks and a little charm (laughs) it worked it worked but uh that was uh nice because uh yeah I, i i had some crazy work weeks building up to a little trip I took, which I'll kind of talk about a little bit in the what we've been watching segment. But, um, yeah, no, it was uh, it was awesome. So I appreciate it. And then, like I said, I want to thank uh, Chris and Sean. Uh, hopefully get those guys back on with me involved. Uh, they don't have to be. Uh, they're not like a duo or anything, but uh, either way. so <laughs> They are now. <laughs> they may have created themselves a duo. Uh, anyway. Um, but yeah, we are back. Um, episode was it 607? I think 607, two inches from heaven. 607. There we go, man. Um, talking about Athena, Athena, uh, from uh 2022. This is a newer film. Uh, Will said, Hey, I picked a couple in a row, um, the last two weeks of Halloween there. And, um, why don't you pick a couple in a row? And I was like, Okay, pressure's on. So I thought about getting something newer in because I kind of like to mix it up. And then I was thinking about watching Athena because people have been talking about it. And I was like, well, why don't we cover it on the show? And and it worked out because Will wanted to watch it as well. So there we go. That uh, That's always nice when that happens. Um, and so well, that's what we'll be talking about. It's on Netflix. Uh, I believe Netflix picked it up and, and they put it out on um, I'm sure that's how you watch it up there in the Great White North as well. And um yeah. sure is. Yeah, everybody needs to well, we'll tell we'll we'll see if you are interested in it after we watch, after we talk about it. A little different take than the last couple of weeks the film was, but uh I think people will be interested to hear what we have to say. Equally equally as wild. Uh very wild. 
Yeah, we'll talk about that. Um, I don't know what else I got to say uh, that I can't talk about when what we've been watching segment. So, uh, do we get anything else that we need to talk about here at the beginning? Before I, I got a voicemail, I got one voicemail. Um, I think I got an email too. Let me uh, check that real quick. Um, because you know we're a couple weeks uh, removed from me being here. Uh, and I think um. Yeah, I got a few here. Um, okay. Uh, you want you want us to hit the uh, the uh, feedback here? Yeah, yeah. Let's uh, let's do that. I'm just opening the the Gmail or the email same okay. thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do we want to do the voicemail first so this can uh, fire up? Yeah, 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 yeah. I'll fire off the voicemail real quick here. It's from our good buddy Walt. Uh, this is actually a couple weeks old, so uh, Walt's uh, not sending a voicemail for a couple weeks, but. Uh, Hopefully, Walt's doing all right. Don't have one of them colds. All right, here we go. Gentlemen, it's Walt. Hey, don't insult Ray Dennis Steckler and Andy Milligan by comparing them to Rob Zombie, okay? <laughs> but I do have a this or that for you. Rob Zombie or Lloyd Kaufman. Uh, Will was talking about Friday the 13th, uh, with the final chapter. A little trivia. The same cabin in that movie can be seen in uh, Murphy's Law with Charles Bronson. Uh, I was listening to your back catalog, an episode about Thinner. Uh, you mentioned Stephen King's problems with endings. I definitely agree with you. Uh, although I like the premise of the dark half, uh, I probably put it in the same category. A little bit of a deus ex machina there at the end, unfortunately. To be fair, I haven't read the book. Um, back in the day, believe it or not, I had the dark half PC game on the uh, PC, and a sealed copy on eBay is now 300 bucks. One more this or that. <laughs> Uh, Mickey Rooney or Mickey Rourke. Thanks, guys. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, Mickey's, man. <laughs> Battle of the Mickey's, yeah. Look, so, so uh, well, let's just start there. Mickey Rourke or uh, Mickey Rooney? <laughs> God bless Mickey Rooney, but I adore Mickey Rourke. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I probably do, too. Uh, yeah, God bless Mickey Rooney. I mean, uh, uh, long, long Hollywood career. And uh, a lot of great performances in there, no doubt. Uh, also, a very devious person behind the scenes. I've I've read. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, not 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 in a bad way. Uh, just uh, you know, if he had an opportunity to get laid, he got laid. He was a coxman, wasn't yeah. he? Yeah, he was, and uh, he liked to drink. He liked to party. Yeah, was there, was that? Did I hear a rumor that he was part of the Milton Berle? Club as far as uh, I don't think so, but I think that uh, from what I can remember reading, he was just quite uh, frivolous, uh, ready Perfect. ready to go, drop of a hat. That's it. Yeah, and uh, a lot of those kids that came up in the studio system, evidently they all came up together. So Mickey was quite the uh, the young ladies' man, uh, while he was also a young man himself. Uh, I don't think there was any devious behavior the other way, but. Mm. Uh, um who knows who knows hollywood was a different beast back then you know mickey rooney was one of the biggest he was the biggest star in the world at one point i mean i think people forget that yeah, yeah i think they definitely do yeah because that was a long time ago i guess that would have been the 30s maybe 20s or late maybe maybe early 30s mid 30s somewhere in there i don't know maybe 40s I'm, i might be wrong but um yeah a lot of great stories about uh, mickey out there uh, I have to go Mickey Rourke as well. Uh, I've grown up with Mickey Rourke, and I, honestly, I think he's um, he was uh, one of the the great actors of his generation, if not the best. But he uh, 
you know, he's a, he seems to be a troubled soul. So, uh, it's kind of a shame because he's a, he massively talented, but you know, it's his life to lead. Right. So, um, and now of course, you know, he's gotten caught up in the, that kind of, uh, weirdly swollen, uh, plastic surgery world. Oh man. I know that I'll never understand. I, I, I guess that you reach a point at some point where it just, it doesn't look right if you don't look like that, because it seems like everybody eventually gets there that goes through that stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. Even people I didn't think would do. And, uh, it's a shame. It it really is. I get it. It's, it, it's almost akin to the toupee thing or the comb over. Like you're not fooling anyone. (laughs) Do you not see what everyone else sees? And I, I get the point of wanting to kind of hang on to your youth. Listen, I moisturize daily. I use retinol cream. There we go. Just last night I Googled best way to get rid of bags under your eyes. But not going to take injections or do any other nonsense. Like, come on. Yeah, yeah. Hey, be Robert Redford in a world full of Mickey Rourke's, I guess. Not to disparage old Mick because, like you said, I love him too. But I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he said uh, Rob Zombie or Lloyd Kaufman. Um, easy for me. Yeah, that that one's pretty easy for me, too, because I, I wouldn't even think of those two in the same uh, breath, to be honest. That's a Rob. That's a I'm team zombie on that. Yeah, one. I'm team zombie on that one as well. I, I, I have an appreciation for Kaufman a bit more than Will does, but uh, Kaufman's got a certain uh, shtick. And I guess that's where he compares Rob Zombie, because Rob Zombie certainly has a certain kind of shtick as well. But I think there's probably more talent there. Uh, I mean, obviously, I can't knock Kaufman. He's made a career out of what he's done. But uh, I just enjoy the zombie, the zombie more. Yeah. Every time Rob Zombie releases a new movie, uh, people go through the Rob Zombie travails again. Have you noticed that? Yeah, they do. I thought you were going to say anytime Rob Zombie releases a new movie, an angel gets its wings. <laughs> Uh, uh, maybe <laughs> we don't know, uh, <laughs> but, um, it's, uh, it is true. It seems like him and, uh, him, sorry, him and, uh, a few other filmmakers. I mean, they really, when they release a film, be prepared. Social media tends to go crazy. <laughs> there, there tends to be this, um, this trial again, mm-hmm. they get kind of dragged through the, uh, the muck about, their lack of perceived lack of skill. Yeah. And it's, it's just amazing. This overly black and white argument of he's terrible or he's great. And I'm just like, yeah, well, he, he can be both and he can be somewhere in the middle because he's making art. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> whenever you do that, you subject yourself, I guess, to criticism, but it's, it's him, Tarantino, Robert Rodriguez, uh, James Cameron for that matter. Uh, Many filmmakers seems like when they release something, the internet goes bonkers. Oh man! All of a sudden, yep. it's like wow. Anyway, um, but yes, I am Team Zombie as well. And I'm, I'm sorry, but I think his filmography—he's going to be remembered as one of those guys, those B movie guys. And uh, I think he's happy with that. I think that's what he wants. I don't think he wants to be an A movie guy. So, no. Anyway, uh, a couple emails here. We want to get those in. Uh, it's always nice. We get some actual written emails. This one's from uh, uh, Chris. He says, hey, guys, I've been a fan for a long time. 
think the first episode I listened to was Death Wish 1 through 3. Anyway, you guys often mention how time constraints factor into your movie watching schedule, so I thought it would be interesting if you were ever to review two types of films of completely different lengths, that being shorts. Say you reviewed a series of them, like Chuck Jones' directed hunting trilogy from Looney Tunes, and classic serials, for example, Daredevils of the Red Circle, which I recently completed, it being just under four hours or so. Just wondering if these different types of films have ever been considered, and I have this uh, this or that for you, Michael Curtiz or Alfred Hitchcock. Take care and be well. So there's a little bit more complicated um, this or that there. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Where do you stand on Michael Curtiz, Alfred Hitchcock? I I, I, I like Curtiz uh, or Curtis. Would I Curtiz? I've never actually said it out loud. Yeah. Uh, I do. But for me, I really love Hitchcock. And, and I, I, I that's someone who one of the first films I, I loved watching on Blu-ray uh, was the Adventures of Robin Hood that he did. Um, but I, I just Hitchcock thematically tends to hit things that move the needle for me a little more. Yeah. Um, I like Curtis a lot, too. Um, a lot of his films are great. Uh, I think he did Casablanca as well, right? I think. It's yeah, that's that's a great one. And uh, yeah, like you said, The Adventures of Robin Hood, which is almost a timeless film, which is interesting considering how old that film is. Um, but I think, uh, and, and I, I want to make sure I'm clear on this. Curtis obviously contributed to the language of cinema as well, but I don't know if anybody had a bigger influence on cinema for a while than Hitchcock did. Um, continues to. Yeah. And even though I don't, I, I'm not the, I'm not the world's biggest Hitchcock guy. Like I like him and I appreciate him and, and stuff. Um, I tend to like his. I tend to like the derivatives that come from him more than I like Hitchcock himself. But I do like Hitchcock a lot, um, especially the older films, the very early films. Uh, those are really interesting to look at, 39 Steps and uh, The Lodger and things like that. So definitely a very important man to cinema history. So I'm going to go I'm gonna go Hitchcock on that one. I'm going to go Hitchcock. Also, what I always liked about Hitchcock is he took something very simple and and kind of, and you know, kind of played it out, right? Yeah, he would absolutely. He would wind. He would, yeah. The the presentation that was simple, but things would definitely get uh, twisted, and it would become an exercise in tension. Yeah, yeah, it definitely would. I mean, uh, I think about like Rear Window, something simple like that, right? And he, yeah. he just kind of plays it out. All right. Uh, next uh, email is from uh, our good friend Metal George. Uh, he's one episode behind, but he loved the Sleepwalkers episode. That's one I feel I need to revisit, especially given that Garris revelation. <laughs> <laughs> I also heartily second you guys covering Shocker. Would love to hear it. Always love the soundtrack to that one. And there's one scene early on that always struck me as grim and out of place with that film's broad sort of tone. Um, he signs off. Uh, get it wet. <laughs> Metal charge. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if the get it wet thing is going to follow us around for a while. I got a feeling it is. I got a feeling it's going to be one of those things that's going to be with us for a little bit. I can only hope. <laughs> I mean, it's a good piece of advice. You don't want to go in the other way. Well, maybe you do. I guess, you know, it depends on your taste, I guess, and the taste of your partner. Literally, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. In some cases, literally, yeah. Some cases, uh, <laughs> certain acronyms can be... <laughs> drop there but yeah. <laughs> gentlemen yeah 
Uh, okay, and we got one from Isaac. Um, oh, hang on. Oh, we're oh. going to save. Yeah, we're going to save uh, Georgie's. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're going to use those. Yeah. Um, I got one from Isaac here. It's been a while since I've reached out, having left Facebook sometime around 2017. I have multiple usernames, but once I gif- once gifted Will DVDs of uh, Terror Teorema and Cracker for the Xmas exchange, if that rings a bell. Yep. Anyway, I wanted to express my happiness that you guys are back together on the show. And we've been hearing this a little bit lately. Uh, got a, we got a message from Mike uh, Malloy as well. Yeah. That was very nice. I've been listening for years now, and you guys really informed my takes on cinema. And sometimes those takes are hot. <laughs> oh, yeah, get it wet, Isaac. Uh, question, have either of you seen Taylor and Burton's film Boom? Personally, I think a film that, one, has a character named Sissy Goforth. Two, features Noel Coward as a male witch. And three, has Richard Burton in a samurai robe. Is very GGTMC. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. <laughs> um thanks fellas isaac so isaac i won't give his last name sorry uh just in case that is his real name uh thanks isaac yeah 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 i remember i remember isaac i remember him around a lot of people left facebook um in the last five or six years uh political turmoil potentially hot takes rob zombie releasing films might be might be a reason people left um I understand. I uh, I walked away for a while. It just got to be too much. It you know, people just, you know, it's just one way or the other. <laughs> and it's just like nobody uh really kind of sees the writing on the wall, you know, so I just I had to walk away. And I know Will doesn't spend as much time there as he used to uh for numerous reasons as well. So Oh, yeah, it's yeah, some some good reason, like some legitimate reasons, some um, um, conscious decisions to stay away. Yeah, exactly. But, um, you know, I have seen boom, but I don't remember anything about it. I remember being a younger man and watching it and thinking it was dreadfully boring, but, um, you know, I was a different person then. And honestly, I don't know if I finished it. So maybe we should talk about it. It's a notorious bomb. It's a notorious, like, uh, uh, like I think that film was really panned hard when it came out. I'm I'm game. I'll be honest. I'd never heard of this film. Mm-hmm. It's funny because I'm going to talk about Elizabeth Taylor in Italy in my portion of what I've been watching. So, oh, nice, nice. Um, th- I'm I'm game. Okay, I'm definitely game. Like maybe cool. at some point that's something we want to just give a spin to because it, it it sounds interesting. Just quickly reading about it, I'll uh, throw it. Uh, I'll throw it on. A, I'll start generating a list of uh, recommendations. People send us because we do sometimes have trouble picking a film. Let's be honest. Yeah, yeah, we do. And then maybe at some point, yeah, we'll. Uh, anytime you get a film with a character called the Witch of Capri, uh, I think <laughs> you've had you've gained you, my I, interest. I heard you kind of giggle when they said a male witch. So, picturing <laughs> some that may be a warlock, right? As a well, yeah. I mean, hey, he can be a witch. He can be a witch. But uh, I just just the the vision of of Noel Coward as in this witch's garb, just uh, yeah, it's going to be something. And then the samurai robe or whatever that uh, I mean, Richard Burton wears. Yeah, I mean, I'm down. It does sound like something we would uh, find some fun talking about. So, yeah, whoever did the costumes <laughs> for that film. God bless them. Yes. All right, let's get into what we've been watching, man. What have you been up to? I got a ton of stuff, and I might just save some of it because who knows what I'll get in uh, this week. I'll definitely talk about uh, what I saw on my trip and maybe a couple others. But 
Okay. Uh, but I've been away for two weeks, so I've had a little bit more time before bed and things like that to kind of generate some watching. And then I was off for like four or five days in a row. So I was able to crank, I was able to crank them out. Yeah. Like soldier boy. <laughs> yeah. Soldier boy crank it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, go ahead. Uh, what have you been up to? So oddly enough, uh, I talked about spookies last week. I watched it the same day as you. Because that, was, that was messed up. That was dude, messed up. <laughs> yeah, it was it was on uh, that cathode cinema. And I'm going to try to watch more of their stuff. They do these really fun, like, live stream kind of things where they'll, they'll air, like, 10 films. And Spookies was, I think, the first film in the marathon. And I was like, I can't believe this is on. Rick just is watching this today. Yeah, so, in a theater, I watched that. In a theater, no less, right? So yes. um, I talked about that last week, but it, that's a fun one. Um, you know, yeah, I, love and, I uh, think that one is, for me, that one is definitely better with a f- group. Yes, uh, I, I, I said after I watched it, so I won't bring this up. I'll, I'll just kind of bring it up briefly when I talk about what I've been watching, but uh, I will say that to the group I talked to, if I, uh, you know, I, I'm of the opinion that if I never see spookies again, I'll be okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've For seen sure. it two or three times now. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I mean, it is a mess of a movie, um, but f- a, a fun mess, especially with the right people. A fun, well-intentioned mess. A well-intentioned fun mess. Yeah, I mean, it makes no sense. And, uh, you know, the zombies, There's at one point you get farting zombies. I, I don't know I don't know what the point of that is. Um, and I'm not going to dig too deep into that because I don't think there is a point. But it's just, it, it's a bizarre movie. It's a bizarre creation. It really is. I want to watch that making of documentary, though. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I definitely want to see that. I know that... Um, you know, it was a film that was started and not finished, and then another director came along and finished it. Yeah, it was a troubled shoot. I think Chris, last week Chris was mentioning that, if memory serves. Yes. Um, it's definitely got a reputation, and a cult reputation, and uh, yeah. yeah, folks like it. And um, I think Vinegar Syndrome has a Blu-ray of it, I think. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean... I don't know. I'm going to try to track that down because I'd be very curious. To I'll see. end up owning the damn thing, even though I don't say I say I'll never watch it again. Um, I, I know I'll end up seeing it again somehow, some way. Yeah, that's how it goes. Yes, it's definitely how it goes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for real. Um, so, yeah, I talked about a bunch of stuff last week, but one I didn't get a chance to talk about because I didn't watch it until Halloween night was maybe. No, not maybe. Definitely the most fun I had through the whole Halloween season. Uh, it's Deadstream. Oh, is this on? Uh, is this on Shutter? Yeah, yeah. So we, I was on uh, Not a Bomb, uh, and we, or maybe I wasn't on Not a Bomb. Maybe it was something else. But we were talking about Shutter's year this year. They probably had the best pound for pound streaming year of anybody this year. They had a very good year. Very good year. And I'm glad to be back. Yeah, I, I, I got to check this one out. Uh, I think Randy recommended it. I, I got to check it out. So the Uncool Cat really repped hard for this one. Okay. And it, I guess, you know, for anyone unfamiliar, it's, uh, it's sort of an evil dead for this, for like, you know, this current generation. Um, but it's, it's the, the style it takes is it's like a live stream. So there's this YouTuber or this sort of, you know, online celebrity who has a bit of a fall from grace and to kind of regain some clout and and kind of get his name back out there. He decides he's going to stay in a purportedly haunted house for the night. Mm. And uh, needless to say, it 
gets very wild. Yeah. Um, but this is very, very Ramey esque. And, and I've been forthright saying I don't always love Ramey, but Teresa, all four, well, William kind of came in halfway through, but Teresa loved it. I loved it. Braden loved it. It has some fantastic moments. It's really fun, really gross out, really funny. <laughs> You, you end up falling in love with the the main the main guy, and I think it was a, a husband and wife that directed it together. Okay, and the the husband's the star of it. It's it's rewatchable, you know, because they'll be live streaming. You'll see comments kind of str- like scrolling as he's doing stuff, and some of the comments are just hilarious. Yeah, so super fun, <laughs> super fun film. Loved it. High recommend. I'll definitely check it out. <clears throat> yeah, I'd be curious how it lands with you. It's on my it's on my Shutter watch list. Yeah, it's it's good, man. It's very good. That was our Halloween night watch. We I, we kind of because we did trick or treat um, the night before, uh-huh, uh-huh. right? Like because we went to see it in the theaters, and um, so we just yeah, it was actually uh, we decided to do that one. So um, that was that, and then we got into post Halloween watches. Uh, I decided to throw an American movie. Hadn't seen it in many years. Oh yeah, yeah. And I can't believe this is 1999. Like, it looks more like 1989 to me. But I guess some of it might have been back then. Like, you know, they carried over some of the footage as he was. Yeah, I'd say some of it was probably previous, right? And then, uh, you know, those guys, uh, you know, Midwest, maybe kind of they were might have been thematically, maybe they were caught in 1989 for a while. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. But this uh, this is such a, a charming. Yeah documentary right it just as much as it's about one man's vision to get his films made um it's also a testament to the power of community and love and you get yeah friendship too yeah right friendship right like people that really don't really care about the film per se but they care about the man making the film and you know uh they 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 indulge him they work alongside him they do everything to, you know, in service of his dream. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I love that one. Uh, the, the Wisconsin accents are great. So good. And yeah, so good. And I never forget the line. I always take away from that film is I always just think of the word Coven. <laughs> Coven. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's a, that's a great documentary. I mean, that's, that is one of the great American documentaries. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Like, I, you know, who needs to release that is Criterion. That's who needs to release that one. That is like one of the the great American films of the last 20 or so years. I agree. Yeah. Uh, I agree. It's fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Next up, um, we didn't have a lot of time, not a lot of runway. So we decided we were going to start Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosities as a family. Oh, yeah. So we threw on episode one, which was lot 36. Are these, uh, uh, what are these, about an hour long? Yeah, 45 minutes to an hour. Okay. And he's roped in some pretty good uh, filmmakers to make some, but this one was directed by Guillermo Navarro. Navarro. Oh, yes. I know that guy. Yeah, and the premise for this one is basically um, uh, Tim Blake Nelson is this um, kind of burned out, kind of, you know, right wing, very unlovable guy got a broken man who buys up uh, storage lockers and then you know looks to sell the um oh what's the word i'm looking for sell the uh the, whatever's uh, inside them okay yeah yeah so kind of like these uh locker auctions or these yep. uh yeah okay yep exactly and uh needless to say 
he uh, it doesn't go very well. I'm surprised it took this long for there to be a horror thing for this. I know. <laughs> I know. The possibilities are quite endless with this, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you can make a whole series just on that that idea. Just on that idea, you could. I'll I'll say this. I I don't think this is a great one. I've heard I've read some people kind of were that this was very middling, but this was a great showcase for Tim Blake Nelson, who you and I have spoken about before. Um, yeah. I think he's one of one of the most underappreciated actors working. Right. He's just he's so good. Even this, he's so good in this. Yeah, yeah. Um, I so agree with nice you. Time. I agree with you on that. Oh yeah, he's great. Uh, next up was uh, yesterday, and because we had kind of a short turnaround, um, got into a couple uh, shorter documentaries from a filmmaker I wasn't overly familiar with uh, as I was putting around the house. Joyce Chopra uh, is a filmmaker that's featured on the Criterion Channel right now. Um, and there was one, the first one I watched was called Gramercy Stories, and it's just a look uh, at the late 90s at this uh, shelter for um, gay and transgender youth um, that have been coming from very, um, very trying uh, situations on the home front, abuse, neglect. Um, and it's just about this house and some of the challenges these, they focus on three of three of the residents of the house and just their, their day-to-day lives. Um, it's about 55 minutes long. It's very, uh, there's nothing flashy about her, um, her style as a, as a documentarian. She's kind of from that old school because she's been making them since the seventies, but she knows how to, when to keep the camera on and allow people to open up and speak about things and allow their stories to pack the emotional heft without her having to craft or tailor things uh, for her audience. So I found this one exceptionally poignant. It just, it breaks my heart to see uh, young people be marginalized, be on the fringes of society because of, uh, because of something to be on their control. Right. right? It's right, right. very heartbreaking. Uh-huh. So this was a good one. This was really good. So I kept the Joyce Chopra train running and did Joyce at 34, which is her kind of documenting um, her, her her foray into motherhood and uh, tackling that alongside her ambition to be a documentarian in a very male-dominated uh, realm. And just kind of juxtaposing that with footage of her own mother – uh, as a mother and a grandmother and just how the role of woman has changed a little bit in society at this time. And yeah, it was good. Good. Not great. The first one was a little more poignant for me, but, uh, yeah, that was good. Um, last one I watched, and this is the one I really want to sing the praises of. I'd heard about this, I don't know, not that long ago, maybe four or five months ago. Um, I don't even know how I stumbled onto it now, but, uh, it's called Identikit or the driver's seat. Hmm. So this stars Elizabeth Taylor. It's an Italian film. Giuseppe Petroni Griffi directed it. Uh, Vittorio Storero shot it. This is a wild film, man. Like when you see this film, I, I kept saying to myself, oh, like, how did Elizabeth Taylor get involved in this? <laughs> it's one of those, huh? Man, it's it's very arty, very it's sleazy in spots. Um, basically, uh, let me just read you this synopsis because this this if I was going to make a top ten first time watches for the year, it would be on there. So it says a mentally disturbed spinster, this Elizabeth Taylor, experiences a series of bizarre encounters while in Rome as she searches for someone who will murder her. Hmm. This one's fantastic, man. Nice. Or just to look at. 
very weird, disjointed. I've never uh, seen it, so I'll definitely look into it. It it sort of it's on it's on Shutter. Nice. It's on Shutter, man. It looks gorgeous, and it cuts between uh, present time and flashbacks to her encounters with potentially an increasingly dangerous uh, series of men and women. So, yeah, and she's going for it, man. And this is a wild performance. Like well, it's, I, I just again, I couldn't believe this was Elizabeth Taylor doing this. Well, like, she 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 could be interesting as a performer sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, this one's I can't recommend this. It's not going to be for everyone, you know, because it kind of, you know, it it doesn't have a lot of thrust. You know, it kind of just keeps kind of resetting itself in different settings. But the the cinematography is gorgeous. The the locations are gorgeous. Her performance is fantastic. Um, but yeah. Check this one. I'm very curious. In fact, I might pick it for the show at some point. It's so good. Nice, nice. That'd be good. Because I've never seen it. Like I said, I I I don't even know that I've ever heard of it. Nor had I. And then I I, I saw the poster with her on it, and uh, that it was Italian. Then I kind of put it. You know, I I I think I just stumbled onto my shutter. That's what it was. And then I just I put it on my watch list. And then I thought, oh man, I got to get into this now because I'm yeah. Anyway, so that's it. All right quite a bit yeah uh i'll say i'll start with uh just a few here and then get into well yeah i'll get into what we what i did when i was got of town uh i guess i'll start with the talking about barbarian a little bit i know you already talked about it a little bit um i i like barbarian uh i liked it quite a bit I, I i like the the front end more than the back end but i liked it either way it's such a weird movie in a way it's, it's like it's like a movie movie yeah. Does that make sense? I mean, it's, it does. I mean, there's no, there's no real logic to it, but it's kind of fun for that. It, and, uh, it kind of hit me at the right moment. I kind of needed something like that. I was getting ready to fly out of town and I had a couple hours to kill. So I watched it and I was like, uh, okay. And uh, it was, it's pretty fun and grotesque and, and crazy. And, uh, does, I mean, that, that, that first sequence, uh, that first setup is, is, is really good stuff. I mean, that's, that's pure horror. And then it just gets into some 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 wacky craziness, and I don't know if I ever really understood the real. <laughs> I mean, I, I think I did, but I don't know if I ever really understood the real meaning of the film, if there was one. I don't even think there was one, but that doesn't matter. I mean, you don't always have to have that, right? No, no, you don't have to. And uh, it was fun for that, uh, and quite violent and quite crazy. Uh, and it's definitely one of those ones where you kind of have to leave a little bit of logic at the door. You got to leave a you little do. bit, of that. yeah. But good and creepy. And uh, yeah, what an what an opening, what an man! <laughs> I'm with you. I like the first half of this film better than the second half, and I love both halves. Like this, other than this, might have been my favorite thing I watched this Halloween season. This or, or uh, Deadstream, but yeah, you, like you said, it, I think there's definitely some some messages there which I appreciate. But um, I just like that it goes places that you don't <laughs> think it's going to go. Yeah, yeah. Right? yeah, yeah. I like that too. In, in spite of some obvious poor decision making right <laughs> yeah. which i know the director spoke about it was a book he'd read about you know women not not trusting their intuition in situations uh, that was written by some sort of a security detail guy so yeah i can't wait for this guy to do more films man yeah 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 yeah. he's a he's a comedian by nature uh yeah. upright citizen upright citizen citizen brigade or something like that i think it's whitest guys you know whitest or, guys you know or something like that uh, yeah something yeah. like anyway either way um yeah uh, we need more. This guy needs to make more films, no doubt. 
And big time. That's what I mean. Horror is in good hands, man. Like, I really feel like it's in really good hands right now. Yeah, it is. Uh, speaking of that, I watched a German horror film. Ooh. And it's called Old People. Now, this is on Netflix. And I just kind of fired it up. I was at uh, Troy's house. I'd flown up there. And uh, he was working. And I was just kind of waiting to... Um, to you know to for him to get on with his uh working and stuff and then we were going to go do things and all that kind of good stuff and i watched this this is a german film directed by andy fetcher i think fetcher i think how you say his name now this one doesn't have super great reviews on anything and like the aggregate on letterbox is 2.4 but this is essentially like a 28 days later type film but it's all about the small town where all the old people are infected and this movie could be called head trauma the movie <laughs> oh my god uh it's very violent it's very wacky i got caught up in the emotion of it and man is it i think it's gorgeous to look at like it's one of the best looking films i've seen this year really yeah it's it's crazy how good looking it is so um i don't know it might be diminishing returns on story and stuff because it's pretty wacky old people kind of losing it and stuff but i would recommend people check this out I had a really good time with it, and I did say head trauma of the movie. Uh, it was it was fun. It was a good time. It looks really, really nice. I'm going to have to check this one out. I, I don't know if this is one Chris was talking about uh, recently. I don't know if it was off the air or on the air, but yeah, I'm going to have to check this one out, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty fun. Um, watched uh, me and Troy sit down and watched Red Sun Rising, Don the Dragon Wilson film. I'd never seen this one. Yeah. I regret that because this one is <laughs> – this one's kind of fun. Vinegar Syndrome put this one out recently. And um, this one's a good time. This one might have the most racist cop I've ever seen in a film. That's no small feat. <clears throat> that is not. I mean, this is like taking Dirty Harry to like the, the nth degree. I mean, the racism here against Asians is unbelievable. <laughs> oh, but in a way that's tacky and funny. I know that sounds weird to say out loud. You know, racism, funny. But I mean, it's it's obviously badly dated. Um, and, uh, it's probably now that I've seen it, it might be, it's gotta be one of my favorite Don the Dragon Wilson films. He's got uh, a few good ones in there, man. Yeah. He's got a few good ones. He's usually kind of, he's kind of like a cracker, you know, he's and, and not like a white person cracker. I'm talking about like, he's, he's very plain sometimes. And I agree. I, that's always the problem I've had with him, but, uh, he's really good in this. Um, I checked out, uh, traveling band, the Creedence Clearwater revival at Royal Albert Hall. This is also on Netflix. Really good. It's half documentary, half concert. Uh, if you're into them, you'll probably dig it. Um, uh, not much more to be said there. We then went to the theater and we checked out Dawn of the Dead in 3D. I saw that. Now, Dawn of the Dead is still Dawn of the Dead. The 3D didn't really enhance it for me in any way. Uh, I don't really like 3D films. Um, they just don't really do anything for me. It was cool. I'll say that. And I liked it. Um, but it's still Dawn of the Dead. And uh, the film is still uh, just as good with or without it. Um, it did have some a few neat effects, and it does add a bit of, you know, kind of dimensionality to the um, to the shots. And I was surprised at how well it kind of transferred to 3D. But it it, it worked. It was uh, it was good. But it's still Dawn of the Dead. I mean, it's not gonna you know, it's maybe one of the most classic, if not the most classic, zombie film in some ways. Yeah. So. It, it was it was a good time. We had a good time with that one. So anyway, the main reason I went out of town, I'll say this and then we'll move on. 
I went up there for Dismember the Alamo. Uh, Randy had uh, really kind of pushed it, and I know he was trying to get you to go as well. I didn't think I could swing it, so I just kind of put it off, and then suddenly I could swing it. So I was able to swing it and uh, get up there, and I'm glad I did. We had a really good time. We watched uh, three films and then one hour and 20-minute, I think, uh, film of trailers which just about put us all down. <laughs> yeah, Randy had uh, said that very poetically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just about put us out. Uh, you know, we'd all eaten some food already and everything, and the trailers were the second thing they showed. They showed Spookies, which we watched with the crowd, and a lot of laughter, a lot of giggling, as you would imagine. Um, and then they showed the trailer thing, and we were all kind of like, wow, that, that almost did us in. I mean, that was it was too much. It was just overload. A lot of uh, Nigerian and uh, African cinema there. You know, with the uh, the trailer would have the advertisement where you could order the film by mail order. Amazing, yeah. Yeah. And then they uh, turned that off and, uh, you know, gave us five or ten minutes, order some more food or beers or whatever, and um, they, thrown on, they threw on Flesh Eater, the, uh, the Bill Hansman kind of uh, spiritual successor to Night of the Living Dead. Now, for those who don't know who William Hansman is, he was the zombie at the beginning of William of uh, Night of the Living Dead. And uh, he kind of—I I don't know—I think he's just a working guy, working actor in Pittsburgh. Maybe he had another job, and I guess he decided to kind of, kind of climb on the uh, the popularity of Night of the Living Dead, and maybe generate some funds, right? And and make his own Jason Night of the Paper, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And maybe make his own. And he made it in '88, uh, I believe. I think '87, '88. And uh, you know, I'd seen it before. Uh, it was much better watching with an audience because it's kind of slow in spots. It is overly gory and pretty rough in spots, um, but fun and uh, a good watch in a theater with a bunch of like-minded fans. That's what I discovered watching these three films I watched is that this is the great example of how a group of like-minded people can uh, elevate a film a little bit, right? And uh, this one worked pretty good. Um, it wasn't great because uh, it's not a great film, but it's a decent uh, zombie film it it's kind of like barbarian in a way though it's kind of all over the place um and then they wrapped up the uh dismember the alamo with unmasked part 25 which they shown as the hand of death and i saw it come up as the hand of death and i'm like i looked over troy and dusty was with us as well dusty our good friend dusty nice i was sitting between those two guys and i looked over dusty and i was like i, I don't know what this is and he's like i don't know what it is and troy's like i don't know what this is either and we're like well okay we, none of us know what this is. So we proceeded to watch this film and uh, nothing was thrown in your, you know, memories to me. Uh, and I don't want to get into too much about what this film is about because what it's about is kind of the surprise of the whole thing. But it's a bit of a satirical look at horror films and it's worth a watch. Definitely. Uh, it may be worth people checking it out as soon as you can, because it's also known as Unmasked Part 25. So I knew this title, and I knew this video box and DVD oh, box yeah. and everything else, right? Yeah, you, you knew it too, right? So I never saw it, though, man. Never saw it. Right. I think we'd all avoided it because the title was like, oh, God, it's one of those. Unmasked Part 25, it's one of those. you know. And boy, do I regret that <laughs> because this film is, is, is bonkers. It's it's kind of it's it's a really weird take on horror films, um, directed by a Swedish man, and uh, it's 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 crazy. It's a crazy film. Blue uh, Vinegar Syndrome put this out on Blu-ray as well. Um, 
I highly recommend it. I ended up buying the Blu-ray as soon as I walked out of the theater um, because I had to know more. Um, it, it was a really good time. I, I can't really describe it without giving it away. But it's definitely a, there's some jaw-dropping moments. And I don't mean as far as effects or anything else, but just decisions that are made <laughs> are pretty jaw-dropping. <laughs> this is on Tubi. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's on there as well. So, yeah, check it out. And we should say the Tubi poster is not the memorable one. Like if you Google it, there's that 80s one. That, that's the one. And I never avoided it for any reason. Just that, I don't know. I just never, never got it. But yeah, I got to I gotta check this one out. Man, when I saw you were watching, I'm like, whoa, man, I forgot about this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't know that that's what I was watching. And so I was really stunned when I found that out. So I'd always kind of put it off and, and thought, no, nah, well, it's probably just some kind of riff on slashers and things. And I don't have time for that. And uh, here I am. I sat down and watch it, and I regretted for years not watching it now. So I'd have been pushing it on people probably. Uh, but that's it. I, I got more, but I'll save it for another show. Like I said, uh, I came back and watched a couple films and stuff. And, uh, I saw Black Adam too, which uh, was big and expensive and loud and uh, not very good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Big, big, expensive, loud, and not very good. Uh, for me, it's like most, it, it pretty much is like every comic book film I've seen over the last, I don't know how many years. Yeah. This didn't, uh, light my fire. That's for sure. Yeah. But got it. I don't, I don't know how the film is, but yeah, it's, it, 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 it's, uh, you know, Wami Colette Sarah and the rock and it's, um, and they did jungle cruise together and I guess they enjoyed working together. So they did this and, um, jungle cruise was at least interesting. This is, uh, it's fun. Yeah, this is not super interesting. It's kind of dull, and uh, there are some good things in it. Uh, Aldous Hodge is Hawkman. Uh, some people like Pierce Bronson's Doctor Fate. Uh, he's 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 fine in the movie, but he's just being Pierce Bronson. He's not being anything other than that, and he's wearing a helmet. Um, but it, it's it's okay. But it, um, his performance, I should say, but the film's pretty dull. It's uh. You know, it's just one big set piece after another. It's like every comic book film to me. It's just, you know, we have a couple moments of dialogue and then another big set piece. And then a couple moments of dialogue and another big set piece. <laughs> so, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It, it feels like <clears throat> like all the comic book movies over the last five years kind of all mal- amalgamated into one. Um, oh, boy. Yeah. So that's what it feels like to me anyway. All right. Uh, I think that's everything I got. Um... Uh, you know what time it is, I think? I don't have my watch on. What time is it? Time for this or that. All right. <laughs> I miss that music. I haven't heard it for a couple of weeks. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> once it once it uh, nestles into your uh, your mind. It's yeah. It's, once it's in your brain cavity, it's hard to get it out. Yeah. Um. Okay. These are so we're going to use uh, some that are from George Metal George, our friend. Uh, we have decided this intro is long, but it's long because of uh, me being gone for a couple of weeks, more than likely. But uh, and you know a bunch of feedback and all that stuff. But we've decided that these these uh. And just so people know, we're going to try to keep the this or that's to a reasonable number because Will and I love to talk and we love to have fun and we can make this, we can make five this or that's go for two hours if we wanted to. 
Yeah. So, so we're going to try to just kind of limit it sometimes. So, uh, but anyway, George has got five of them here. Uh, and uh, they're pretty good. I don't know if you want to just take turns reading them off. You want to go first, yeah. or you want me to go first? It's up to you. Yeah, I'll go first. You've, you've right. been some talking there. So, yeah. So you read his email, um, I believe, right? Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. That was you just read that earlier. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Asked. I just stopped at the this or that's. Yeah, exactly. So he's got a few good ones here. Uh, first one up, uh, he's keeping it in Italy. Uh, Claudio Fragasso or Joe D'Amato. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go Joe D'Amato. Uh, the reason being is they really his working relationship with Luigi Montefiore, yeah. uh, also known as George Eastman. But what I like about Joe D'Amato is it's like, uh, you know, all bets are off. Claudio uh, weirdly seems to take himself too seriously. <laughs> yeah, I remember an interview. I don't know if it was for Troll 2 or Doc, I can't, but he came across to me as a very difficult man to work with. And yeah. I don't know if that was just the way the interview was framed or edited, but he didn't seem very pleasant. Yeah. He kept referring to actors as dogs. <laughs> yes, he did not seem very kind. And um, from what I understand, you know, again, like uh, Lindsay and a few other directors out there, he's a bit of a yeller. Yeah. And uh, that's fine. Nice. That's fine. Yeah, I mean, teach their own. Uh, their style is their style, right? But, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, uh, yeah, I don't know. I just, I he he just comes, he comes across as pompous when I'm like, eh, I don't really know if you should be coming across that way. Yeah. I don't know if anyone should, but your body of work definitely doesn't afford you the opportunity to do that. Yes, I agree. All right, uh, let me see here. Let me uh, get the next one. So I'm guessing you're a Joe D'Amato guy as well, right? With oh, I'm definitely D'Amato, yeah. yeah. D'Amato's got some interesting films in his filmography. Absurd, uh, Boya Omega, which is what, Beyond the Darkness, I think? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's got some good ones. He's got some absolutely terrible ones as well. Um, but at least he's he's always interesting. Yeah. Uh, at least that's what the way I feel. Um, okay, how about this one? This is a tough one. Robert Altman or Sidney Lumet? I think this is a harder one. <laughs> I think this it's harder is, than the first one, yes. <laughs> yeah, this is a really hard one um, because I, I think Lumet is maybe the most underappreciated American filmmaker of like the past 50 plus, 70 years. Yeah. I think he's such a great filmmaker, but Altman is, is such a titan. God. Uh, oh, it's tough. I guess if I had a gun in my head, I'm going to go Lumet. I don't feel necessarily great about that, full disclosure, but that's me tomorrow with a different gun to my head. Maybe I'll say Altman, but I'm going to go to Met. Man, I, I don't even know if I want to. It's hard, uh, man. It's really hard. God. Um, George. Yeah. This is a tough one. Uh, I've kind of fallen out of love with Altman a little bit over the last, I mean, not, not, not in a, I, I still love him, but, you know, I just, I haven't watched much Altman over the last decade you know what i mean yeah yeah no i know man and it's like i've absorbed him quite a bit and then i kind of went away from him um but lamette is somebody that i keep coming back to so i, I think i'm gonna go lamette because of that because we can i kind of come back to his stuff i'm not saying i won't come back to alban again we did uh mccabe and mrs miller which was great and we definitely like altman here but so it's a 
It's Lamette with a, with a very faint. It's like a fifty-one forty-nine Lamette. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that's a fair thing. And and just for those that don't or didn't listen to our McCabe and Mrs. Miller review, highly rep for that film. I think we both do. Like that's just yeah. What a what a piece of work. Yeah. But you could, I mean, both these guys have, you know. Seven to ten very good to great films in them. Yeah, great American filmmakers, no doubt. Ah, so good, yeah. Yeah, yeah Lament maybe not as easily noticed. You don't really easily notice his influence on American film as quickly as you do Altman. But if you just look at, like, David Fincher or somebody, you'll see yeah. you'll see Lament start to kind of creep up and some of those he's filmmakers. He's not so much an auteur, but... He just, you know, he goes in, he makes rock solid film. Yeah, he's probably got 15 plus really good to great films in his filmography, man. Yep. Yeah, really good stuff. Uh, I think you're reading the next one, I think. I am. Uh, are you? You are, because, oh, no, I am. No, you are. No, I, yeah, yeah, you are. I am. Yeah, yeah I am. Because I led with the forgot so motto. This uh, or that? This or that. <laughs> uh, 70s adult film or shot on video horror? <laughs> This must be the trash bin question. <laughs> um, well, I love some shot on video horror. Um, it may as well be pornography because it looks just as rough in some ways. Yeah. The problem with pornography is, and I don't know if anybody else feels this way, and I don't want to go too deep into this, obviously, but <laughs> no pun intended. But <laughs> the truth is, Pornography is not a very rewatchable medium. Uh, there's so much of it, and except for a few interesting films, um, it, it, there's just so much that isn't very good. Um, but the '70s were interesting in that they tried to make films, right? They did, and at least made it a little bit more interesting. But I, I think pound for pound, I got to go shot on video horror because. There you're getting that energy of trying to make it as a filmmaker. And I think that's much more interesting. You're, you're getting the, 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 the hunger, the kind of, I want to be to make films. Yeah. And they're, they're only limited by the medium that they're different, using. Different kind of hunger with those 70s adult <laughs> films. Yes. Different. Yeah. Uh, I think you, you pretty much hit the nail on the head here. Uh, I don't find, you know, porn very rewatchable. Uh, well, certain scenes, baby, but well, yeah, yeah, (laughs) that's why I didn't want to go too deep. (laughs) But, um, I, I will say this, like you said, it's funny how the seventies adult film industry ran parallel with sort of the, the Renaissance of the seventies American film, um, creative output. Right. And I, I do think, like you said, there were filmmakers that were absolutely dedicated to elevating uh, adult film, and and by and large, I think they did a great job. Even comparatively speaking, I've I've watched a few, but I don't I don't tend to want to sit around and watch them. I don't know if that's because I got kids or, or or that weird disconnect of where I want to keep my titillation separate from my um, my viewing of uh, art. Well, you know, I think I think I think it kind of comes with maturing as well. I, I I don't think it's as important once you reach a certain age. And I'm not saying that people of mature age don't watch it. No, but different different strokes. No pun intended. Yeah, for different folks. Yeah, yeah. And I just feel like, like you said, the shot on video horror stuff. 
it can be bonkers. Like you said, you can see someone pouring themselves into it. Not to say you can't with adult film, but I guess my short answer is shot on video horror. Yes. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of good. There's a lot of good films there. Um, maybe we ought to cover one at some point. We haven't done one of those in a while. Yeah. Uh, we've done some. We've done a bunch of shot on video stuff, right? So. Yeah. Yeah. All right. How about this one? Uh, check cashing with Donald Pleasance or John Reese Davies. I'm Pleasance all the way, all the way. Yeah, I think I am too. I like John Reese Davies. I, I do, but Pleasance brings a certain gravitas um, that uh, I I enjoy. Yes, and uh, that's that's pretty cool. I think. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, Davies to me, and maybe I'm just not thinking of it because it's still a little early in the first coffee. He's just starting to kick in. Doesn't have that signature role that Pleasance does for me. Yeah. Um. Whereas Pleasance does, and then Pleasance really puts his foot on the gas with, um, oh goodness, what's the one, the Australian one? Um, oh, Wake and Fright? Wake and Fright. I mean, he really <laughs> goes nuts in that one. So I, I just can't think of that role for Davies, even though I, whenever I see Davies, I'm like, oh, John Reese Davies, great. Yeah, yeah, he's always good, right? I mean, yeah. and he is a master check casher. I mean, that, oh, there's no yes. doubt about that, and uh, bravo to him. Yeah, you know, we love the check cashers around here. <laughs> We sure do. We understand. You got to. You got to make it where you can make it. Yeah, man. So yeah, I'm gonna go Pleasance on this one as well because he just, you know, he's got great films in his filmography. He's got trash films in his filmography, but he always gives everything a little bit more gravitas. Like I said, and not that uh, Reese Davies doesn't, but um, I tend to see Donald Pleasance more, which I guess it means I watch more Donald Pleasance movies. That's right. No, I'm with you. Uh, next one, Edvige Fennec or Florinda Balkan? Ooh. Um, hmm. Well, I mean, you know, I hate to be stereotypical here, but for me, Edvige is the, she's like the height of the Italian beauty in so many ways. She's, she's, she's curvy. Yeah. She's curvy and, and funny and attractive and, and she can really act as well. Mm-hmm. And I, she's she's kind of like she's like the perfect woman, at least from what I can see. Right, I don't know her personally, and um, yeah, I mean, like, I mean, she's like a top five female actress of all time for me, and so I, I'm gonna have to go Finnick on this one. I, I just don't see me. I don't. I mean, I like Florinda Balkan. I like her a lot, but uh, yeah, no, nah, it's got to be Finnick on this one. I agree with everything you said, but I'm going to go Florinda Balkan. Nice. Now, from the perspective of, if we're just going to, I hate to sound piggish, but the camera loves Fennec, right? Yes. She's, you know, in my eyes, more of a natural beauty than Balkan, but Balkan as an actress is someone I always get excited to see because I feel like there's a complexity to a lot of her performances that is sometimes lack and most times is lacking in Italian cinema. And she has done some really kind of cerebral films within uh, Italian genre cinema that um, just really the lifting she has to do as an actress is really admirable for me. So those films left a mark on me as far as anytime she's in a film, I want to see it. Mm -hmm. And I, I lament that her career wasn't more prolific, but like I said, I agree with everything you said about Fennec. She's an absolute beauty. The camera loves her. Um, I think her her career has overlooked sometimes um, 
because of her beauty, which is a shame. It's almost like Brad Pitt in a way, like, you know, his beauty gets in the way of, of people taking him seriously as an actor because she can act. She can flat out act. But yeah, I just bulk in someone to me. I always get excited when I see her name in the credits. Yeah. 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 And, and I agree with you. It's it's just one of those things, right? You got to pick. It's this think, or that. Yeah, it's this or that. Yeah. <laughs> it's literally this or that. Yeah. Also, I should say for the record, I'm glad we did this with George, uh, his this or that's because I did have two Nargensat loggers at the no. Alamo Draft House. Oh, man. Do they sell them there on the regular? Yeah, they do. Oh, and man, I, I missed it. Yeah, I had to have them because George had asked about that. Remember? Yeah, absolutely. The jaw, he was talking about Quinn drinking them. Yeah. And I got to say, they're pretty good. I mean, they taste like, they taste similar to past Blue Ribbon. Like a summertime, easy drink. Yeah, yeah. yeah they're, I mean, they, I don't mean this in a bad way. This is going to sound bad. That tastes like a cheap beer, sort of. A yeah, cheaper but a beer. cheap beer. But a good cheap beer. Yeah, it's like a Bush Light or a... Or hey. a, a, yeah, you know, you, there's some Bush things... Is. goes down smooth, man. Yeah, Coors Light sometimes, you know. It just depends on the mood you're in, right? So like silver bullet. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> the Nargan set, Nar- Naragan set, I think is how you say it. I don't know how you say it exactly. But I got to say, I recommend them. And I'm definitely going to buy me some to keep here at the house. Very nice. Very good. Uh, and Troy will agree. Not a bombs. Troy will agree. He had a couple himself. So <laughs> they were good. They were very solid. Very easy to drink beer. So I could see myself getting in trouble with some of those. <laughs> good stuff, man. Uh, but yeah, I wanted to bring that up. Um, all right. I think that's everything here in the intro. It's good to be back. Good to be laughing and having a good time. Yes, sir. We're going to take a short break, come back and talk about Athena from 2022. We'll be back right after this. listener who reached out to us named uh, Steve. That's the only name I know. Um, he reached out to Will and I and said he'd been listening to the show recently and he just kind of gave us some music uh, uh, to check out uh, inspired by the film Cruising. Uh, the band is called Kazoshay. K-A-Z-Z-O-S-H-A-Y and that song is called Cruising. And uh, yeah, it's interesting stuff. Uh, certainly has a feel, no doubt. And um, we thank Steve for reaching out. Absolutely. Wanted to give him a little bit of a push there. I don't know if he's still playing with that band or if he's still doing stuff, but hey, we're all in this together. So 
Right. <laughs> All right. Um, let's talk Athena, uh, directed by one Romain Gavras. Gavras. Uh, hours after the tragic death of their youngest brother in unexplained circumstances, three siblings have their lives thrown into chaos. So this That's is a, you. yeah. <laughs> chaos would be the word for this movie, I would say. Yes. Uh, it might as well be called Chaos the Movie. <laughs> 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 kind of like that one film was called, called Head Trauma the Movie. This might as well be called Chaos the Movie. Oh, yeah. Um, so this had uh, popped up and some people have been watching it, and I had had my eyes on it for some time. I decided to pick it. Uh, it looked like something Will and I would be into. Uh, Will was interested in watching it as well. Um, I don't think he had planned on picking it for the show, but anyway, this killed two birds, one stone. We got it in, and not only that, we get to talk about it on the show here. Will, what did you think about Athena, or as they say in the Athena, Athena? <laughs> yeah, yeah. This, uh, well, welcome back, Romain Gavras, right? He hasn't been on the show since, I think, a TIFF episode with Our Day Will Come with Vincent Cassell. Ah, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, so he's been away. Uh, just to give people a little bit of history on him, very brief, he is uh, the son of Costas Gavras, the Greek-French great filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Um, so he comes from good lineage, and its uh, I don't think it's any coincidence that his father made the film Z, which is one of my all-time favorites, and 50-plus years on, it's as timely as ever, and I can't help but think that this film is very much influenced by films like that. Um, speaking of French films that would have influenced this, Battle of Algiers um, a little bit, right? Like, there's uh, a lot Yeah, of, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, some of the... Now, this this film, uh, not to sort of jump ahead too much, um, stylistically uh, kind of toggles a little bit, right? Like, um, some of the, the stuff shot much like Algiers is shot sort of documentary style and other stuff shot more cinematically. Um, the film itself features, um, I would say, and I think this is probably a fair statement for us, you know, you and I have been very forthright that life, uh, life and all the, the joys life brings, uh, have gotten in the way of us maybe being as familiar with world cinema as we would have been, you know, a decade ago. Right. Um, so a lot of the faces in this, it looks like have been quite prolific in film, like Dali Ben Salah, who's making quite a name for himself, had a pretty prominent role in No Time to Die, the newest Bond film, Sami Slimani or Sliman, Anthony Bajon, Alexis Minetti. The cast seems to be very prolific back home in France. Yeah. So um, Gavris put this film together um, with the people he did. Interesting pickup by Netflix. As much as people want to disparage Netflix, you and I have talked about in the past how they do seem to be investing in some pretty interesting film and giving filmmakers a voice. Uh, so I like that. Um, well, not only that, they make a, they're making world cinema available, which you can say whatever you want to say about you know not not being on physical media and stuff. But you know, for years, we got to remember world cinema was not as easy. I mean, only the critically acclaimed world cinema was able to be seen. You didn't see a lot of B-movie world cinema or anything like that. Or, or yeah, other than sort of the the top, 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 most sort of quote-unquote perceived prestigious films, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, uh, bringing Netflix bringing films like this, this was very exciting. When I heard this was on Netflix, I was so excited. And then, you know, here we are, you know, a month and change later, 
And you're like, yeah, pick it for the show. And I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe you picked this. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Very, very cool. Uh, we should say this film is also written by Laj Lee or Laj Lai, who is a, a, a Mali. I don't know what the hell you say if someone's from Mali. Malinese? Ah, uh, you know what? I don't know. Malian? Anyway, uh, he's a, a filmmaker from Mali who, um, or is a, from Mali, but he's in France. He lives in France. And he recently directed uh, the Les Mis, the contemporary adaptation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he did the contemporary Les Mis. Yeah, which, uh, you know, very, uh, it deals with sort of uh, criminal underworld and things like that. Very different uh, than what yeah. we've come accustomed to with Les Mis, certainly. Um, so this film, uh, to kind of get get forward here with the film itself, um, it is as hot button with a capital H as you can get. Yeah, yes. <laughs> um, it deals with now when we talk you, you synopsize this uh, you know to to add another element to this the film opens with um a very decorated um soldier ben Salah's character abdel speaking at a press conference about the death of uh, his brother and how the officers responsible will be found and how held accountable and right away you very much get the um the sense of what a powder keg this is going to be france has had for, you know, 75 years, has had problems with how Algerian, uh, French of Algerian descent have been treated, um, a lot of racial tensions, religious tensions, and all of that comes to a head here in this film. And this is something that is very topical uh, in a lot of Western countries, your country, to a lesser degree, my country, but still there. Um, so I think this film is is one that's it's very topical, and I, I don't think there's any uh, surprise that Gavras, uh, being a younger, he's like our, you know in his forties, younger guy, uh, wants to touch on something like this. A number of films have come out from France that, that deal with racial tensions and and. You know, police abuse and, and um, institution, institutional racism. Uh, yeah, I don't know enough to know, but uh, to give Americans or North Americans maybe a kind of similarity, I guess it could be, you know, I mean, Algerians are Algerian and Algeria itself is, is mostly a country. Uh, and, and forgive me if I'm wrong about this. I don't know enough to know and I'm ignorant. I will say that, you know, more than I know. But more people of color live in Algeria, I would say. Yeah, yeah, and of Muslim faith, of course. And Muslim one. faith, and so you got that. And so to kind of give you an idea of the institutional kind of racism that Will's kind of talking about, it's kind of like, you know, some of the realities that America's kind of going through right now. Not nearly as, as hot-button as it has been over there, certainly. But you can see similarities, no doubt. Yeah. And uh, this is not, uh, you know, unsadly, this is not a new human condition. Uh, this is a human condition that's been around for way too long. So it's just kind of, you know, there is this kind of taint of sadness that kind of overwhelms the film. But the, the thing is, the movie, it's interesting because the movie is, I mean, uh, it's almost as pure an action movie as you can make. That's the interesting thing. It has a lot of things to say from a societal perspective, but it also delivers the goods from um, 
an action or from a visceral perspective, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? And, um, you know, in, in addition to the Algerians, you get a lot of uh, African uh, Muslims here living in the the neighborhood. I can't remember how to pronounce it, Ben, Ben Liu. I don't know. I never, I don't know. Anyway, in their district, right? Yeah. So you see a lot of people that that's what it is. It's people of color. Yes. Um, and I'm going to say this now because I messaged you when I was watching this last night, I'm going to go on record as saying the single take in this, whether it was sort of cheaty digitally or it was a legit one take single take is one of the most impressive opening single takes I've ever seen in a film, bar none. It is up there. There's no doubt. I mean, I actually made Randy and Troy sit down and watch it. I said, you guys got to watch the first 10, 12 minutes of Athena. Oh, my God. I said, you got, even, even if you don't want to watch the rest of the film, you at least got to watch the first 10 or 12 minutes. It's, uh, it's just incredible filmmaking. Incredible filmmaking. And like I said, it's up there with... Um, Oh goodness! What's uh, what's it? Uh, the Heston Jam with the car bomb. Oh, Touch of Evil. Touch of Evil. Or is it Touch know, of Evil? Yeah, it's Touch of Evil, right? Yeah, I think it's Touch of Evil. But I mean, this is as good as I've seen with a single take. I mean, just man, it's, it's impressive, and it's impressive too because of how chaotic. To bring that back, that term, how chaotic it is. This isn't just a single take through the countryside. There are explosions and gunfire and dirt bikes and vehicles being busted open and loud sort of physical well acts. Uh, let's talk about just the fact that at one point they're in the van, then they're out of the van, going around the van, then they're back in the van. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, how are they pulling this off? It and the thing that's so impressive about it too is the film opens very solemn with the press conference. And then it just explodes, literally and figuratively. Yeah, right. And it very much acts as as, uh, the manifestation of the physical representation of the anger that this this group of people feel over the death of their 13-year-old brother, friend, neighbor, son, Mm -hmm. child. Mm -hmm. Yep. Right? Enough is enough is enough. Mm-hmm. And it really uh, boils over very quickly. Yeah, it does. And it almost looks like war footage, frankly. It does. Um, the violence here is is uh, it's one of those weird things. So it's both entertaining and it's also incredibly harsh. Yeah. So um, you know you've been warned. Uh, there's there's good uh, violence, but it's also realistic in a lot of ways. So it can be a bit harsh at times. Uh, there's a pummeling scene that is brutal. Um, uh, with two brothers, that is just it is oh, man, it is rough. Yeah, and that's the thing. This film, um, is more serious minded than just sort of it's not like a heisty kind of cool thing. It's it's very it, it's an action film that has um, social issues and civil unrest on its mind. Yes, right. So it's uh, it does deal with things, and when you're watching this stuff, it punctuates it more emotionally because you think of putting yourself in the context of the characters in the film and what's unfolding, right? Their neighborhoods being destroyed. Uh, and it's just, it's an absolute war zone. Like there's flames, there's smoke, there's concrete rubble. Um, yeah, it looks like a post-apocalyptic film in some ways. It, it does. And that was one of my notes. It, it very much does. And, and Gavras and crew, 
do a great job of toggling between uh, more traditional camera work, and I'm not a camera expert, more traditional camera work tied in with some really impressive and seamless drone footage. Yeah, this is visually, this might be one of the best looking movies I've seen this year. Yep. I mean, it is unbelievable the stuff they pull off. I mean, we talked about the opening, but I mean, there's a great scene where they're on like a scooter and oh, they're, they're following them around on this scooter. So good. And there's so many great shots of flames just shooting everywhere and slow-mos mixed in. I mean, it's it's a it's a revelation of modern filmmaking. It, just from the craft of filmmaking. If forget about it, whether you like the film, if you know, yeah. I mean, the story's pretty heavy, so some folks are probably going to be like, "Yeah, I really liked it, but it's too much for them to, yeah. to bear emotionally or otherwise, right?" But yeah. just from the craft of filmmaking, like you said, I, that scooter scene is, is amazing. It is, it, it and it, it comes along a little further into the film, and you're just kind of like, "Okay, well, they've already kind of blown me away. They can't do it again." And yet here they do, they do it again. Yeah. And then they do it again, and then he does it again, and I'm just kind of like, wow, this is a, an exercise in like every camera trick you can pull off. And they also are really just once you get away from some of the chaotic stuff, one of the really smart choices Matthias uh, Bucard makes uh, in tandem with Gavras is everything's shot super tight. People are just on top of each other, and yeah. it adds to the tension of the film. It adds to the urgency. Um, and it gives you a very real sense of what these people are going through yes, in that moment and in their day-to-day -day lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. And, and the sound design, too, like during all this is just explosions and shouting and, and all this. And then when you do get a moment later on in the film with one of the, um, one of the officers uh, in the film, um, played by Anthony Bajan, uh, it's, it's eerily quiet for about two minutes. Yeah. And it's just almost like you just kind of still almost hear the ringing in your own ears. Yeah. And it's uh, it's really well done. Yeah, I think it, it, for me, that's what, uh, you know, watching it, I was like, this is just an exercise in, yeah, um, you know, great filmmaking. Like this is, I mean, this is like a showpiece for Gavros. I mean, he, if he wanted to make like amazing big budget Hollywood films, he could probably make them easily. And they'd be so creative and stuff. Now, I kind of hope he doesn't do that, but I understand if he does because, you know, we all got to put food on the table and we all have a right to follow our path, right? So I get yeah. it. But, man, this, uh, I don't know, if we were going to do a top 10 or top 20 or top 30 for that matter, this would probably, this would be in the conversation and it would be in there. I don't know where, yeah. but it, it would be in there. Yeah, and that's a fair. Because the filmmaking is unlike any other filmmaking I've seen this year. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, the movie's only about 100 minutes long, and it just one, two punches you the whole time. And oh, yeah. it just goes, 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 goes. And not only that, it sets you up to, to kind of not set you up. That's the wrong word, but it's a mirror reflection of the social strife I think many countries are going through. It's not just the Algerian and French crisis. It's it, it's showing us something that we're all kind of guilty of in a way. I agree completely, and that's why I find I felt I found this film so compelling. I don't want to sit in my ivory tower as a Canadian because I'm seeing a lot of things seep into our country that I don't like, um, and it seems like extremism from the far right is seeping in and unrest with people that have traditionally been marginalized by those in power. 
uh, is getting worse and worse and worse. And mm-hmm. this film is very much a, a scream and a shout at that. And to take it back a moment to what you said about Gavris, this being a calling card, though, I agree with you completely. He could use this as a calling card should he wish to go that route, almost like Denis Villeneuve um, yeah. did yeah, with yeah. Insandi or something, right? Where from a technical perspective, and look at that, Villeneuve by and large has made really good big budget films. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd like to hope that Gavris would keep some of that artistic spirit and wouldn't completely sell his soul. But uh, yeah, I, he could should he you know, should he want to, right? So Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and you know, again, I'll say this and you know, it's maybe not a popular thing to say, but yeah, if he wants to turn around and make a comic book film, go ahead. Uh, you know, he has every right to pursue a career and a lifestyle and take care of his family and all that stuff that ever all of us do. Yeah. I hope he doesn't. I think he's a better filmmaker than that. But it's unfortunately it's the business and, you know, he could make a Dune film or he could make, you know, these big budget films. This is the film that shows that he can do Honestly, he can do anything. I agree. I agree with you. I think he could do anything. And I don't want to overstate this film, but it, there's there's enough in here that you know you're dealing with someone who's uh, very talented. Yeah. Very, very talented. Puts it all together, right? Because as much as we want to marvel at all this stuff, let's not forget that someone has to, someone has to orchestrate all that. And someone has to bring it together. And someone has to keep the vision of the film and keep a lid on the film and not just go over the cliff with pyrotechnics, right? Right. right. So, and he does that, right? Like he he keeps it he, he straddled in uh, and reined in, which is really impressive. Um, one of the things I I, I like that the film kind of touches on without having maybe a single scene about it is just a lot of the people that are frustrated and angry are the youth uh, in the film. Yeah. You know, late teens, early 20s, um, or even, you know, mid-teens to early 20s. And you see a lot of the the older, slightly older um, guys in the neighborhood have just resigned themselves to this. They've almost sold their soul for, for the dollar mm-hmm. and they're willing to turn a blind eye to the institution. They become very cynical and feel like if you can't beat them, join them. And we're going to carve out our own uh castle in the sand here because you can't beat him so i might as well just grab what i can and turn a blind eye to a lot of the social and civil injustices going on around me right right i think that was a very telling scene um and the film's cast really well too like i like i said wasn't familiar with any of these guys um yeah i'm not either uh i haven't even seen uh no time to die so i don't even know who any of these people are now I really want to watch it because it's I you know I just I've been meaning to kind of maybe show the boys a couple of these newer Bond films. Just I don't know, I feel like they might like them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've heard it's really good. I mean, action wise and everything else, I've heard that. No, I think I might. But um, for me, let me ask you this: Who is the biggest revelation for you in this film, acting wise? Um, well, it's it's down between the two leads for me. Yeah, da, uh, Dali Ben Salah and uh, Sammy Slamine. He sounds yeah. like almost sounds like a wrestling name. Yeah, Sammy yeah. Slamine. Yeah, that's right. Those two guys, Kareem and Abdel. Those uh, those two brothers. Now there's another brother. I think it's Mokhtar. Yeah, Uwasani and Barak. Who's very he's aggressive and he's very good as well. He is very good. He's given less uh, to do. I think he's kind of boxed in a little bit with. Well, it's an interesting, they're all siblings, 
um, plus the the brother that died. Yep. Which you find out more about at the the back end of the film, which we won't give away here. But um, they you know they've all followed different paths. One of them's a policeman uh, trying to kind of fight the system from the inside. One of them is a bit of a, a pariah, a prophet, um, a leader. That's the Kareem character. And then one of them is, uh, he's essentially a drug dealer, right? Is that, that, a, you know, of some clout. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and probably, honestly, he probably uses that to fund their small revolution mm-hmm. in some ways, or help fund their small revolution and put food on the table. I know yep. that sounds awful to say, but let's be honest, it happens. Yep. Yep. For sure. For sure. So he's got a lot of stress on him, and he's a very angry character, the Lasani oh, Embark. He is almost to to the point of comedy in a few moments. Yeah, yeah. Right? I mean, he's like way he's over the top. He's yeah. snapping, man. He's just losing his mind. Yeah, he's punching people. He's doing everything. It's just he's really obnoxious in the beginning, but I, I grew to like his character a little bit. Yeah. Um, but when he would lose his mind, he would go back to obnoxiousville pretty easy. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. Um. Yeah, there's so many incredible moments in this film that'll just stick with me. The moment when they drop the fridge off the top of the building and it lands like two feet in front of the cops. Mm-hmm. That's a wild scene. Yeah. Wild scene. I did a little research here. It says the first scene was the last one to shoot due to the complexity to pull off the entire sequence. It's comprised of seven different seven different shots stitched together in post oh, wow. to give the idea of unbroken 10-minute take. So they just were really smart about where they, where they put the cuts in, yeah. It felt like that's the thing I, I you know, like I, I kind of um, qualified that statement about it being a single take. It looks like a single take. It does. But here's I mean, here's another point that's very important. There's only 163 edits in the movie altogether. Wow. It, and wow. Average shot length in this film is 33.2 seconds. Which, so. you know what, is amazing. And from a technical choice perspective, it allows you to really hang in that moment and add tension in like every moment in the film. Yes emotionally or just viscerally yes i I agree i agree completely it it's it's master filmmaking um that we just don't we don't see often enough anymore i mean it really is use of the slow-mo is really good too oh it's really good it it works perfectly it it, and it's used uh, sparingly but it's used exactly when it needs to be used you know uh, i don't want to keep saying this seems great this seems great but you know uh, one other visually one scene that's just incredible to to witness is when the police it's nighttime the police are inside uh, the the complex and these flares are just raining down on them and they have their plastic shields over them uh, as they're all bunched up kind of tightly. It's uh, it's a pretty astounding sequence. Mm-hmm. The bikes going around them and it's uh, it's really really astounding. It's insane. Uh, it's insane. <laughs> it, it is insane. It's so insane. And I liked um, Gavris and all the other principals behind the scenes, their choice to go with more of a heavy orchestral score, because I've heard a lot of people call this like a Greek tragedy. And I think thematically there's a lot going on that is sort of timeless. And for them to go with something like that, I think it adds more weight to go with sort of a string heavy or a sort of an orchestral score versus contemporary music, right? Like right. hip hop, pop or right. metal or something, right? It gives it a more epic feel, but it also gives That's- it a more worldly feel. Like it's something we can all identify with. Instead of yeah. going with like, you know, one culture's type of music over another, it's this, you know, the use of classical music in music that's been around and since the beginning of human creation of music, it just kind of gives it this, this all encompassing feel. It, it does because these are universal 
problems. Yeah, universal problems, universal themes. Sadly, uh, this is something all countries go through. I don't think. Uh, I think sadly, America's on the precipice of going through the, a lot of this kind of stuff. It it does feel that way. Sadly, mm-hmm. it does. It does. Right. I, I worry. I worry about it often. I worry about it. I worry about my friends. Uh, I worry about the, the country by and large. And like I said, I even see things seeping in here, and it's it's very very um, yeah. Which you, wait, you would right? I mean, you're you you and uh, you guys in Mexico are our closest neighbors. So yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Um, a couple criticisms I have about the film. I feel like the the Fed angle with the Jerome character to me, I could do away with that. Yeah, I don't know if you need it. I feel like it does kind of slow things down. Like it adds a bit of tension, but I don't think they flesh out his character enough to really care. Um, you care on a human level. But, you know, he at the same time, I don't think they give us enough reason to care. And I think that it distracts from the sort of propulsiveness or the 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 cause of the brothers fight or their uh, what they're going through. Right. Mm -hmm. I just think that you don't need that. They didn't they could have easily written this another way and not have him be involved. Yeah. Uh, so that kind of, you know, that kind of bogged down a little bit for me. Um, and, yeah, just even some of the, I mean, I get the brotherly friction stuff. It was good, very good. Um, but I don't know, some of it at some points um, got a, bit, a little bit clumsy for me. I got my mic, my headphones are wires going here but more the the jerome stuff i feel like it's uh but you know that stuff all kind of adds to abdel kind of being stuck between two worlds right which makes his character very sympathetic yeah right he's kind of trying to you know uh, do right by his family make them proud but he's also feels that there's a cultural betrayal as as sort of alluded to by kareem to him it's 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 a weird movie in a way too um and i'm not gonna have a lot to talk about by the time we get to it because i've kind of talked about everything that um i wanted to talk about with this film but it's a weird movie too because it has uh, some optimism and it kind of gets you going in, in certain ways but honestly by the time you get to the end of the film you realize it's 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 quite pessimistic in some ways it's a very pessimistic film, and there's a very powerful moment with a cocktail. Yes, mm, man, that scene yeah. really, really bothered me. And it's another one of these movies where you kind of realize the human beings, no matter how far we progress, we're almost cursed to 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 do these things on repeat. We are, um, unfortunately prisoners to our worst impulses yes and that's uh, and that's really what it's kind of showing at the end i don't want to get into the end obviously because it's a very important small little scene but man is it powerful oh man what a kick in the gut it is yeah. an absolute gut punch um it's awful <laughs> it's awful i mean it, it's awful i think that the you know the fate of one of the other characters like i mentioned where it's uh I don't want to spoil it, but yeah, when someone's behind sort of a gate uh, yeah. and they can't do anything to, yeah, it just, it's a really hard, hard watch. It's it is. a really hard watch because you could, certain filmmakers would frame these characters uh, that were, you know, protesting uh, against the death of one of their own the children in their community 
as just quote unquote thugs. Uh-huh. We've heard that term thrown around a lot, thugs. Yeah, yeah. Um, but Gavris very clearly knows that this is not the case. And you're dealing with people that are angry, that are underserved. And he does a good job fleshing out everyone on that side. Yep. Um, and to the point where, you know, like I said, it just, it, there's, there's so much tragedy in this film. Um, and yeah, I'm just trying not to, let's see. Uh, and you know, I mentioned this story with a lot of the close-ups, but even just a lot of the, a lot of the actors are, they're A, great faces, right? They're face, just wonderful faces. Oh, the yeah. camera loves them. Yep. And they're shot so close. And in a lot of ways, these guys are asked to do some pretty heavy emotional lifting where yeah. when you're that close on a face and you have to cry or you have to be angry, you're going to be revealed pretty quickly if you're a shitty actor. Yeah. And all these guys, and we should say this is very much, save for the, the small performance by the mother and a few support, very, very minor supporting roles. This is a very much a male dominated film. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. It is. It's, yeah, I, I don't think that uh, it, it's it's about, you know, male aggression and yep. things like that. Yes, it's certainly about that. That That's important. It is. And I don't, yeah, it's not, it's not, um, I don't think it's marginalizing women. This is just something that he's, he was concerned with dealing with uh, the male psyche and different sides of the coin in certain situations. Um, but yeah, the faces are great. Um, what else do we got here? Uh, and just the the tragic irony of this decorated soldier being failed domestically. Mm-hmm. Right? Abdel's character, by and large, was a national hero, right? They allude to that. And then for him to be completely failed domestically in his own country, again, speaks to me in terms of America, in terms of Canada in terms of the Western world where um, people of different colors and, and groups are asked to fight on the front lines. And then when it comes to them being taken care of domestically on the home, they get failed time and time again. Right. And you see that here and it's, it's um, well, I mean that, I think ultimately that's what the film's about. It's about how our, our institutions fail us. Absolutely. And the end of this film is, uh, it, it packs a punch. There's it really a, does. The end of the film yeah. packs a major punch. And let me ask you, but do you think that was done with CGI? Do you think it was miniatures? What do you think? Uh, you know what? I don't know. I'm going to guess CGI, but I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. But anyway, uh, I don't want to talk about that too much, but I was curious what you thought because part of me thought maybe miniatures, but um but yeah, just there's there's just such an utter failure of of the institutions for the people that it's supposed to serve, right? And mm-hmm. and then the, the postscript to this is so heartbreaking and troublesome for me. Yeah, right. It's just uh, and like I said, it Gavris is really to me fifty years plus after his father made Z. Both films deal with a lot of the same things thematically, and yet here we are dealing with the exact same things. Yeah, and it's um, it's very unfortunate. Anyway. It is. It is. But I mean, again, I thought, you know, it's a pessimistic thing to say, but I think that, you know, sadly, human beings are, we're kind of doomed to repeat ourselves. I don't know why that is. It's just something we seem, we seem just doomed to do. I, I don't, I don't get it either. We just, we, we just don't learn. I, I, I don't understand it. I really don't. <laughs> Not to get too down on things here. No, 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 of course. Uh, because the film is an amazing movie. Uh, I recommend people check it out. 
the filmmaking is is a stellar filmmaking uh, and you will be kind of blown away by what you see and it is like a, you know i joked around and said it was chaos the movie i mean it, it is just one after another moment there are moments of quietness but i mean it's 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 just kind of hammering you over the head both emotionally and uh, with sound and with visuals uh it, it's just one moment after another and it's really impressive and kind of sad in a way that this wasn't released theatrically i don't know that people would go see it um which is also kind of sad but at least it's out there right it's out there i think people will find it and i think people will appreciate it over time and uh it will be remembered as this kind of pivotal film uh in some filmmaking circles uh, i think it'll be one of those kind of movies that filmmakers will kind of talk about in the future you know what i mean they'll be like oh man yeah but did you ever see athena <laughs> yeah you know one of those that's what it's one of those kind of films and uh, I agree with you. I think all the I think all the acting for the most part is really good. I think you know the Mokhtar character he kind of goes over the top some, but I still think you know he's got a lot on the line too. Uh, even though it's it's you know it's kind of devilish what he's kind of dealing with. It's still you know his livelihood, and uh, you know he's 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 very concerned, um, as they all are. Um, uh, there's just there's moments in here that just really kind of rip at you and to show you how far people are willing to go to get what they want or get what they need or just do what they have to do and on it, both sides of the coin. Yeah. On both sides of the coin. And, uh, that's really smart to show as well. Uh, because you know, it could be one dimensional and I think it, uh, Gavros does a really good job of showing us both sides and what they're dealing with. Right. And the other thing he does too, is I don't think he, demonizes the the institution of the police right at first glance you may think that and think oh here we go yes yeah yeah, yeah. right but he does not do that right there's, yeah. there's characters um on the police side that he shows and i, I don't want to spoil anything but uh you know i think he does he tries to go to lengths he, this is more from society's perspective than the people uh you know the police perspective but um it, it doesn't just utterly demonize police in this yeah. And I think that's smart because I don't think all police are bad and I don't think all criminals are bad. I know that's a weird thing to say out loud, but I think some, some criminals are surviving and, uh, we've turned things into criminal behavior that possibly shouldn't even be criminal behavior, but, Agreed we're, completely. We're, but we're not willing to reevaluate that. And that's, a, again, that's a flaw in the human condition and it's kind of sad. And it's just ivory tower nonsense yeah right? it's just horseshit yeah ultimately and we're not gonna get into all that here we could talk for hours about that but there's some some stuff that i'm sure we all agree is just ridiculous at this point <laughs> yes and that people are getting arrested for or getting beat for or even that that even comes up i mean it just it's unbelievable to me that this is still happening um anyway uh i do think that this is um uh, a great film and honestly yeah, if we end up doing a top ten or whatever next year, uh, this will—I'm sure we'll be talking about this movie again. I'm sure we will. I think it—I think it's that good. I really do, and uh, I recommend everybody check it out. Let's get into Make or Break's MVTs. What you got? My Make or Break is the opening. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. How can it not be? Come on. Yeah, I mean, there's so <laughs> many incredible things, but to open your film like this, it's very clearly a statement of intent. Yes, you're going to be thrust into something you know, hellish. 
And it does that. And it does it with such confidence and assured filmmaking uh, that, I'm like, wow, you got me. I'm in. Okay, let's, let's, I'm invested. Um, MVT, I want to go with Matthias Bucard, the DOP. Um, if I told you that the DOP for this was a producer on the Adam Sandler film Pixels, would you believe me? <laughs> <laughs> Not off the bat, but you know, again, like I said, man, everybody's got to make their coin. Which, yeah, and I, I should say, I actually quite like pixels, but um, I wouldn't have made that connection. But <laughs> yeah, he's my MVT. Listen, Gavras is a is a very very good filmmaker who I think has a lot of years in front of him to make uh, films that um, can speak to societal ills or can speak to the human condition uh, and be done uh, in with incredibly proficient uh, skill. Um, but I got to give it to Picard because uh, to me, visually the, is the film's strength, not to disparage anything else because everything else is great, but yeah, visually is what I'm left with. Uh, score for this film is an eight out of 10. Yeah. I think this is just an excellent film. Uh, you know, a few things maybe I would have changed. Like I said, the Jerome character, I think was a bit needless, not to say Bajon's performance was bad, just the, the role itself was a couple of things I would have maybe changed, but I think I'll be honest, I'm almost grading this harder than I would otherwise because the opening happened and I was like, okay, <laughs> we're in rarefied air here. Yeah. Now I'm scrutinizing everything because I know how good this can be. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's an amazing opening, but it's one of those things where it's almost a mistake. Yeah. Because it's it's like, you, I, I don't. I mean, there are moments that live up to the opening, like we said, the scooter scene and yeah. and some other stuff, but man, that opening, wow. Um, okay, my make or break is also the opening. <laughs> I don't know how many times we can say the word opening today, but we're saying it a lot. And there's a reason. You see it and you'll... Like I said, even if you don't want to watch this film, like if you're just not into heavy political stuff right now and everything, and I can totally get that. The world's a pretty complicated place right now, and that's not where you want to be headspace-wise. Just watch the opening. At least watch that opening. Just look at the craft of the filmmaking there. It's 10 or 12 minutes of your time, trust me. I bet you'll want to watch the rest of the film after you watch it, though. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. MVT for me. I'm going to go Gavras. Uh, I didn't put the Pixels connection together, but uh, I'm glad you did. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, that that's amazing, right? And, again, I, 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 I knock no one. Everybody has to make a living. Um, I've not seen Pickles. I Pickles. I've not seen Pickles. But uh, that'd Tommy be great. Pickles. <laughs> <laughs> Tommy's pickle. <laughs> oh, the pickles! I think in the mid '90s, we all saw Tommy's pickle. Yeah, I saw a lot of pickles. Um, anyway, uh, I've not seen Pixels, but uh, I'll take your word for it. Uh, score for me, just a little bit higher than yours, eight point five. Uh, we're always, like I said, in that ballpark. Anyway. Oh yeah. I had a really good time with this. Quite the visceral experience. Um, what an what an amazing movie! It's pretty amazing. It really is. And you know what it did for me? It reignited my excitement. Not to say, I, I've, we get a little more time back because you know we talk about behind the scenes, but watching this, I'm like, oh my God, I have so much French film to catch up, catch up on from the past five to 10 years now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And I started like going through the filmographies. I'm like, oh yeah, I got to see this, got to see this, got to see this. I think you so. got to have movies like this every now and then to kind of rejuvenate the art form too, you know? And, yeah. and I think that that's what this film gave to me. It's like, wow. Boom. There you go, man. Just when I thought people didn't have much energy and we were seeing the same comic book film over and over and over again, here comes Gavras and says, hey, I'm going to shake it up a little bit. Yeah, and I'm going to make something that's visceral, that's timely, that's poignant, but it's done with such energy and technical proficiency. It's going to 
yeah, it's gonna gonna force you to remember it. It's gonna rock your world, man. That's right. That's right. All right, uh, that's the big show this week. Uh, next week we're coming back. We're going to talk about more world cinema, uh, film from uh, 2018, I believe. Yep. Um, called Border. It's one I've been wanting to talk about for a while. I watched it quite some time ago, back when Todd was doing the show with me for a while. And uh, I really had a good time with it and really thought it was interesting. I believe, I don't know, I don't know exactly, I think it's, it's either, it's Nordic. It's Nordic, yeah. I don't know if it's Icelandic, it's Icelandic or uh, Swedish. It's, uh, so it's like it's Swedish, Danish, Swedish, Danish. So it's Nordic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Den- it's the countries that says Denmark and Sweden, so. Uh, anyway, it is very much that, and I'm looking forward to watching this again, and I'm looking forward to having Will check it out. Very excited. You've picked two very cool ones. I wanted to see this. I wanted to see that. This or that? Now I get to see this and that. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> All right. So that's what we're doing next week. Uh, like we said, Athena's on Netflix. Uh, Border is on uh, It's on a couple services, right? It's on yeah, HBO. It's on Shutter. Yeah, it's on, Sh- it's on HBO Max. I know that. It's on Shutter here in Canada. Okay, so it's on Shutter in Canada, and it's on HBO Max in the States. It was on Hulu as well, so it might still be there. So, um, If you can't find it any other way. Um, so looking forward to that conversation. Uh, until then, I will say adios. Adios. Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com, and you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com. 